Hey, it is so good to be with you today on Day of Serving. And uh, this thing started a long time ago just with the idea of how can we continue to serve a community in which we have many people in this community who feel loneliness, uh, who feel like they need help, uh, maybe who have been disenfranchised from their relationship with God or the church, and they walked away at some point, and we see this as a chipping away of that to help them see that God still loves them. Uh, when I uh, got to my office this morning, my daughter said, Dad, you got something in the mailbox, and brought it in, and it was a, a card from Hoover Elementary saying, thank you to the church for carrying us and helping us do uh, our carnival a few weeks ago. And it's those kind of just continued acts of love that sometimes break through uh, hearts that have been closed off to the gospel. And so in many ways today is about loving, it's about caring, it's about helping the gospel break through. And this morning, I know many of you are eager to begin the service projects, and we'll get to those in just a bit, um, but we want to open up the word and spend some time just learning and letting God instruct us and kind of form our thoughts uh, and shape our hearts today. So would you pray with me, and then we want to dive in here. Lord, we, we thank you so much Uh, that you cared about us so much that you gave us your perfect word that has truth for all times, for all people. And as we've been talking a lot about unity the last uh, few weeks, God, we know that ultimately we can't find unity unless uh, we can look to one source of truth, look to you, and that you can shape us and mold us into your image And God, we pray today that you would teach us from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when I wrote today's sermon, I was thinking of you adults, I was thinking of you kids. So kids, if you're here, I'm glad that you're here. Um, There's some things that we're going to do today that are for you as well, and so you might want to help your mom and dad a little bit. But we're beginning, because school is out for lots of you, I don't think quite all of you yet, But just because school's almost out, I didn't want you to start slipping already mentally. So we're beginning with a pop quiz today. So here's the pop quiz. Everybody's got to participate. Are you ready? I'm going to put a scripture up here. And then I want everyone to kind of think about uh, what this means. What does Ephesians 6.11 mean? Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So kids' schemes would be kind of like a, a trick. You're trying to trick somebody. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes or tricks. So what I want you to do just really quick, if you would, write down just real quickly, what does this mean? Or if you would like to, if you're a verbal person and the person next to you is okay with you being verbal, turn and tell the next person verbally, okay? We're just going to give everybody just a moment to think about this on your own or with somebody else. What does Ephesians 6.11 mean? Practically speaking. Okay, I bet you we could go around and we could get lots of correct answers, Um, but there was a bit of a trick part of this question. Here was the trick part. I just want you to think about, when you were trying to figure out what this means, were you thinking about what you need to do individually or what we need to do collectively? Anybody, how many people were just thought individually, practically speaking? 
That's exactly how most of us think. When I read the word you in the Bible, I typically think me, you know, Brian, here's what I need to do. And a few weeks ago, I had alluded to this, um, that oftentimes in Scripture, instead of thinking you, you should think the Oklahoman thing, which is y'all. Because in Scripture, usually you is in the plural. In our English language, we don't even differentiate. It's just you. And you got to figure out, do they mean you all or just you, this one person. So I wanted to get a little more specific. So I did a little bit of a word study, did a little bit of research. And um, there's a few variations, and you could argue a little bit, but here's the gist of what I found. Uh, We have a screen that we can actually put up here that has a little bit of a study. And let me just tell you what this means. In the book of Ephesians, which is the book that we've been studying a lot over the last few weeks, the word you is used and intended to mean just you, singular, three times. Two of those are honor your father and mother, which kind of makes sense that it's you individual. The other isn't a poem. But the rest of the times you read the word you in Ephesians, 39 of those times, it's intended in the original language, it actually should be translated in our language, (laughs) y'all, you all. So what does that mean? It means that when Paul wrote Ephesians, when he says you, he's thinking don't think about just you individually, think about all of you together. So in the rest of the New Testament letters, so we go Romans all the way to Jude, you, singular, is used 183 times. Y'all is used 901 times. If you take out the letters to Timothy, Titus, Philemon, which are clearly just to one person, then it goes down to 108, you, singular, to 890, y'all. So it's almost nine to one. So when you read the word you in scripture, you have to kind of get through your Western mindset of thinking, well, it must just be talking about me, and instead think the Bible is talking about us all. And I'm telling you, my friends, that matters. It matters to be able to read what God intended to say to us, and what he's saying is, y'all, it's not just you. And this whole faith thing has a personal commitment required but it's not just about you and God it's about us and God it's about people and God think about in Acts uh, chapter 2 there's this great revival that breaks out and the first thing the church started doing do you remember what they started doing they started meeting together and they started you know studying and taking communion but it also says they just sold all of their stuff and gave their money to help those in need so the very, one of the very first acts of the Christian church was to say, let's take care of us all because it's not just about us. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, how does he address God? Our Father. Not just my Father, but our Father. According to Jesus' parable in Matthew 25, Jose mentioned this this morning, the best barometer of our love for God is our love for one another, how we care for one another. You cannot be a Christian and say, I love God and hate your fellow man. It just doesn't work that way. God says, if you love me, you love other people. You care for people, and Matthew 25 says, you care for the people who are often the most difficult to care for, who are maybe the ones who are least cared for. There's a guy by the name of Chad Bird who writes, 
Um, we talk about having personal things. We employ a personal trainer. We open a personal bank account to, mine it, to manage our personal finances. And please keep your hands off my personal property and keep your eyes out of my personal journal. We talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus or working on our personal relationship with him. But here's the thing. The phrase personal relationship with Jesus is never found in the Bible. It doesn't mean that you don't have to personally decide and commit. You do. It's your choice. It doesn't mean Jesus doesn't personally love you. He does. But following Jesus means you are baptized into a body of believers, the body of Christ. The norm of the Christian faith is not isolated. That means just to themselves, believers, here, 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 little islands of spirituality, but a continent of Christians banded together by the Spirit. The Bible you read, the book itself, is a communal product. God inspired many people to write it using their personalities. Christianity is not a solo endeavor, not a private relationship only between me and Jesus and nobody else. As the Lord formed Israel in the Old Testament as his people, so he has formed the church in the New Testament as his people. And Bird writes, if I just desire a private relationship with Jesus, I know what would happen. I would end up in my mind reshaping my personal Jesus into a strikingly familiar image the image of me. That's the danger with only talking about a personal relationship with Jesus is sometimes we just end up trying to make Jesus look like us. And we need the body of believers shaping us and helping us see Jesus for whom he really is. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to look at this great passage um, that's just great imagery. I love how the Bible um, just that shares these stories and these illustrations that just help our mind see and understand Jesus better. And so the city of Corinth had lots of problems. Corinthians written to the city of Corinth. And it was um, all of these people who had come together, uh, lots of diversity, but some of them had begun to try to worship God in only a way that was pleasing to them, they were kind of becoming about personal gratification. If you read the chapters before, you kind of see Paul is addressing this. And so God inspired Paul to write them a letter, and throughout the letter, he deals with lots of stuff the church needed to change. And so before chapter 12, we read about some of that, and we get to chapter 12, and he gives this great uh, kind of metaphor uh, this great example of how we're supposed to be. So everybody listen to this text, and as I read it, I'm just going to kind of stop and, and make a few comments as we go. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. We're going to begin in verse 12. Here we go. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Yesterday, I got to run a race in my hometown, Joplin, Missouri. And when I was running, there was one little point where um, like my left calf got like kind of tight and it hurt a little bit. And if you would have said, how are you doing? Um, I would have said, well, my calf is kind of hurting a little bit. And my calf did not care that the rest of me was fine. 
my calf just said, I hurt a little bit right now. And so if you would have said, how are you doing? I would, have, I would not have said, well, my thumb is doing fantastic. And my pinky feels, is just doing great. My pinky could go forever all day. I mean, we're just doing great. And my ears don't hurt right now. They're doing fine. And I would, I would have said, yeah, I'm kind of struggling a little bit right now. Well, why are you struggling? Just one part, the body. You know how that is. That's why... Kids, if you leave a Lego out on the floor and your parent steps on it, it's just one little part of their body. But they scream like it's every part of their body, don't they? Man, it hurts. You kick, your toe, you kick your little toe, that little tiny toe, and suddenly that's the only part of your body you can think about. And so the scripture says, you know, the, the body of Christ, we are all one, but it's many parts together. Let's look on. Verse uh, 15. Now, if the foot should say, and this is kind of crazy because the foot doesn't have a mouth, but if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that would be weird. If the whole body were an eye, wouldn't it be very productive, would it? But... Uh, if, if, the, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, many of us, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Did you hear that? Its parts should have equal concern for each other. That's why last week we talked about some of the generational divides um, in, our, in our culture and how beautiful it is when the younger people are saying, hey, don't forget about the older. And when the older people are saying, hey, don't forget about the younger. And we're fighting for each other. We're saying, don't forget about them. Remember all of them. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Did you hear that? You are the body of Christ, and each one is a part of it. Everyone together, we make up the body of Christ. When do you think about your little toe? Only when it hurts. But that means if somebody in this body hurts, we all think about it. We all care for that person. And that means if one part is growing stronger, we rejoice with that part. If one part gets better and heals, we rejoice with that one part of the body who heals because we're all one. And verse 27, when it says, you are the body of Christ, do you think it's singular or plural? You or you all? It's you all. You all are part of the body. You all are the body of Christ. So 
what's the key for us? I want to just give you uh, three kind of principles, takeaways from this, um, just real quick this morning, but that are really important for us. And here's kind of the key to being part of the body of Christ for us to all work together so we're not fighting against each other. And number one is this. Don't try to take Jesus' job. Jesus is the head of the body, okay? There can only be one head, all right? If, if the hand says, I want to be the head, you know, it might start hitting the head. It might want to take over, but it's not going to work very well, is it? And as we all come together as part of the body of Christ, we say we all work together and Jesus is the head and we all work to support the head. We all work to support Jesus. And as long as we all understand that, that Jesus is the head, we won't be fighting with each other. We won't be saying, well, I'm the head. No, I'm the head. No, I'm the most important. I'm the most important. I'm the most important. No, it's Jesus is the most important and the rest of us serve him. If we do that, don't we find unity? Don't we all come together? It's a beautiful thing. When you look up here at the praise team, do you know what a disaster it would be if I was trying to take Ashley's job and play the keyboard this morning and sing? You guys would have left after like the third note I hit. And, and when you look around in a part of a body, if um, I saw Fred this morning who leads our stewardship team and some of you that don't really like dealing with money, it would be a disaster if you said, well, I think I should take over the, the stewardship team and decide where we um, do this budget thing. Oh, no, it would be a disaster because maybe that's not your gift. And so we all have different gifts in the body, and we say we all use them to serve the head, right? And then it's a beautiful thing. The second thing, after, the first is, don't try to take Jesus' job. Let him be the head of the body. And the second is, do your part. Everyone does their part. And they don't just do their part a little bit. You do your part with co contentment and passion. That means you're okay with what, how God created you to be. You're not always thinking, man, I wish I was like that person. I wish I was like that person. I wish I had that gift. That you be thankful for how God created you and say, thank you, God, that you created me this way. And now I'm going to work my very best to serve you. And you know how good it is when you are able to serve God in a way that fits your gifts and your goals. And some of you, maybe the takeaway for today is on your little communication card to write, I would like help finding a place to serve. And our team can help you find your spiritual gifts and how God created you and find you a, a team, a ministry team, where you can begin to use your gifts and to serve. But we need everyone to do their best. And if yesterday when I was running that race, if, you know, if, uh, if my right leg decided that it was just kind of, you know, would rather be something else, then that would have been a really long race for me. You know, I would have been the one-legged guy trying to get down the road. So the body needs everybody working together, saying I'm, we're going to all do our best together. So don't try to take Jesus' job. Do your part. Everyone does their part. And the third thing is love everyone else as important parts of the body. Love everyone else as important parts of the body. That means we recognize their value. So that means today, um, when the VBS team is next door and they're working on these VBS projects, um, that they're not you know, sitting around saying, man, those people visiting those in the nursing homes, man, we're doing way better work than they are. 
Well, that'd be ridiculous, right? We don't want people saying, well, we're better than them, or our job is more important. No, we're all saying everyone's job is so important. In fact, we're thankful that God created us to do different jobs even today. And, that, and we see everyone as very important. We recognize their value, and we help them achieve that. You aren't helpful without love. And so love has to be part of this. By the way, if you still have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 12, it's talking about gifts, and it's talking about how God wants to use us. And just kind of take your finger and kind of go down, and what's the next chapter you see in 1 Corinthians? Chapter 13. Do you know what 1 Corinthians 13 is? It's called the love chapter. Yeah, it, because it go, you, you hear it at you know, about 50% of all the weddings you've ever been to, for good reason, because it's a beautiful chapter. But it's all of these love is patient, love is kind, and on and on and on. And so we understand that as we use the, the part, the gifts that we all have, we love each other. I love you. You love me. We support each other. We care for each other. And then in chapter 16, verse 14, there's this phrase that I really like. It says this, do everything in love. Say that with me. Do everything in love. So today, when you are visiting someone uh, who's homebound, and they're frustrated because they can't do what they used to do, and they can't get out of the house like they used to be able to get around, and they can't do things to help people like they used to do, when you are there, you do everything in love. You listen in love. You care for them in love. It means when you're doing VBS projects over here, and you you get this project that gets a little bit monotonous and you've done the same thing several times in a row and you, you start to get just a little bit frustrated, then you remember, I'm going to do everything in love. And so you love those who are serving with you and you encourage them and you're positive. And it means that when you're out raking someone's yard today and somebody comes out and they begin to talk and maybe they complain just a little bit and they talk a little bit longer than you think maybe they should, that you do everything in love. And you see that there's some leaves over here that they really didn't say anything about and you could just leave them and go on, but you think, do everything in love. And maybe you even find out a need today from somebody we meet in the community and you think, wow, they needed me today, but they really probably need someone to call and check on them next week. What does that mean? Do everything in love. What does that mean for you? It means you call them next week. It means how just to live your life this way where we do everything in love. And when you talk to your, your kids and when you talk to your parents and you talk to your friends and uh, whatever happens today, we do everything in love. That's how we want to be. That's what we want to do. Today, or this last week, as you know, um, was a tense time for Tulsa. And there were some tense things that happened. And uh, I prayed with some friends I pray with on Thursday mornings. Um, and most of them have, have grown up in the North Tulsa community and preach now and wonderful guys. And um, as we were praying Thursday morning, uh, we talked and just read this verse and remembered how there's these three great qualities of a Christian um, if we can cling to these three things, faith, hope, and love. In times like this last week when some people um, felt one way and some people felt one way and um, there's a little bit of fear 
um, that we remember that we have faith in Christ above all things, and we have hope in Christ above all things, and we do everything in love. Everything in love. And that love transforms how we interact with people and how we listen to people. So this morning, um, we, we want you to know that uh, if you have never responded to the love of Jesus in your life, um, I know that we've got service projects and things, but we would be glad to take a time out and, and visit with you uh, up here to talk to you, to pray with you. Um, this next week, I'm going to uh, get to sit down and just study about baptism with somebody who's, who's new at Highland Park, and we would love to do that with you too. If you want to mark that on that little communication card and, and study even later than today, we would be glad to do that too. But uh, I want to ask you just to stand, and I, I want to pray for our city I want to pray for us, and we just want to do give you an invitation this morning that if you would like to respond to God's love that was ultimately seen when he sent Jesus, the Father sent the Son, to die for your sins and for my sins, for our sins, and that's the greatest love of all. And if you have never responded to that, we want to give you the opportunity this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your fantastic, amazing love that we can't even uh, hardly get our arms around. It's so big, and it's beyond how we've ever loved other people, but we want to love like that. We want you to teach us and change us. And, and God, we pray that everyone here, that we would know that you've created us to be one body. You are the head, so help us to serve together well, honoring you, loving each other, and serving uh, anyone and everyone who comes uh, across our path. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.